Job tonight, Job chapter 9, or chapter, yeah, chapter 9, Job chapter 9. And we're going to begin reading in verse 1, and we're going to read down to verse 4. It's good to have a little bit of lightness in our service, and a little bit of laughter from time to time, but when we think about the gospel, it's a very serious business. And, uh, you know, there's nothing really that we can be overly lighthearted about when it comes to a man's soul. And uh, tonight I want to speak to you uh, on a very, uh, very troublesome subject, the subject of a hardened heart, a hardened heart. Harden not your heart. Let's look here in chapter 9 of Job in verse 1. It says, Then Job answered and said, I know it is so of a truth, but how should man be just with God? If he will contend with him, he cannot answer him one of a thousand. He is wise in heart and mighty in strength. Who hath hardened himself against him and hath prospered? You know, I was reading this week in the scriptures, just in my daily readings, and I'm in the book of Job, and I came across two great questions in this chapter, which kind of struck out at me as I read that particular morning. The first one is found there in the second verse, where it says, How should man be just with God? In other words, how can a man justify himself before God? And of course, the truth of the matter is, that he can't. No one ever won an argument with God, least of all an argument concerning the matter of justification or salvation. The second little question in Job chapter 9 and verse 4 then got me thinking further. What, uh, who hath hardened himself against him, against God, and hath prospered? Now that's a tremendously important question. Who hath hardened himself against God and hath prospered? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is obvious that no one can harden themselves against God and expect to be advantaged in some way. In fact, Solomon, the wisest king who ever ruled over the land of Israel, moved by the Spirit of God, said this, Happy is the man that feareth alway, but he that hardeneth his heart shall fall into mischief. And so really what Solomon did was present us with the flip side of the same thought that comes through in Job chapter 9 and verse 4. Now we live in a society where a lot of people have become gospel hardened. That is, they've heard the truth of the gospel many, many times. They know what it means to be saved. They know what they must do to be saved. They know the implication upon their soul in terms of eternity if they remain unsaved, and yet they do not believe. And we have to ask why. Well, here's why, and the longest short of it is this. Their heart is hardened, or their heart is hardening. And tonight I want to warn you about the dangers of a hardening heart. And the best example in scripture of someone with a hardening heart is none other than the Pharaoh of the Exodus. Now I want you to come with me uh, to the book of Exodus, to chapter 7 of that book. And as you're turning there, I'll remind you of course of the story that for 400 years the Hebrews had been in Egypt and for the greater part of that time they had been held as slaves in the land. But God in his grace 
raised up a man by the name of Moses to be their deliverer. And Moses, we know, had grown up himself as an Egyptian prince, but having uh, tried to take on the role of God and having tried to secure the liberty of the Hebrews by his own means, he ends up murdering a man and then he flees from Egypt and dwells on the backside of the desert in Midian for some 40 years. After 40 years of hiding away, God speaks to Moses from a burning bush and calls him to go back to the land of Egypt. He was to walk into the very palace of his upbringing and stand before the Pharaoh with all of the regalia and all of the, uh, all of the ceremony that would have surrounded such an occasion and to tell him on behalf of the Israelite God, of the Hebrew God, that he was to let his people go. What ensues then is a battle of wills, a battle between the will of Pharaoh And the will of God. Really it's a battle between the God of heaven. And the gods of Egypt. And that was a battle that no Pharaoh could ever win. Because who hath hardened himself against him. And prospered. No one. Now as we observe Pharaoh's response to this demand of God. Upon his life and upon his kingdom. We see many of the characteristics of a hardening heart. And here in chapter 7 of Exodus and verse 14, I want you to see the first of those, and that is that a hardening heart is a disobedient heart. Look at verse 7. And the Lord spake unto Moses, sorry, I'm at the wrong verse, verse 14. And the Lord said unto Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Get thee unto Pharaoh in the morning. Lo, he goeth out unto the water, and thou shalt stand by the river's brink against he come. And the rod which was turned to a serpent shalt thou take in thine hand, and thou shalt say unto him, The Lord God of the Hebrews hath sent me unto thee, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. And behold, hitherto thou wouldest not hear. Thus saith the Lord, In this thou shalt know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will smite with the rod that is in mine hand upon the waters which are in the river, and they shall be turned to blood. And the fish that is in the river shall die, and the river shall stink, and the Egyptians shall loathe to drink of the water of the river. And the Lord spake unto Moses, Say unto Aaron, Take thy rod, stretch out thine hand upon the waters of Egypt, upon their streams, upon their rivers, upon their ponds, and with all their pools of water, that they may become blood. And that there be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. And Moses and Aaron did so as the Lord commanded. And he lifted up the rod and smote the waters that were in the river in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants. And all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood. And the fish that was in the river died, and the river stank, and the Egyptians could not drink of the water of the river, and there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. And the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments, and Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Neither did he hearken unto them, as the Lord had said, and Pharaoh turned and went to into his house, neither did he set his heart to this also." Now, in chapter 7 of Exodus, two things happen, essentially. First of all, to underscore the authority of Moses, 
Aaron uh, was enabled to have his rod turn into a serpent, and it was transformed before the Pharaoh and before his servants. Then following on from that, you have the first of the ten plagues, which we've just read about, when the Egyptian waters were turned into blood. And again, the Egyptian magicians were able to replicate this miracle, and Pharaoh, seeing that his magicians were able to conjure by the power of Satan a similar miracle to that conducted by Moses, he resolved in his stubborn will and he hardened his heart and he refused God's command to let his people go. Now a hardened heart is a disobedient heart. A heart that doesn't bow to the will of God. A heart that says no to the gospel and no to Christ and no to salvation. Do you realize that God has commanded you and I to believe the gospel, to repent and believe the gospel? The Bible says that God now commands all men everywhere to repent because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he raised him from the dead. You are commanded to repent. You're commanded to rethink your life, to rethink your attitudes, to rethink your decisions, to rethink the actions that you've been engaged in and to turn around. That's what God's word commands you to do. And then it commands you to believe the gospel to believe that Jesus died for you, that he was buried, that he rose again the third day. Peter asks this in his first epistle, what shall be the end of them that obey not the gospel? You see, the gospel is a message not just to be believed, but a message to be obeyed. And indeed, in response to Peter's question, we might say that Paul gives the answer, telling us that when Christ comes, he will come in flaming fire and taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Disobedience, my friend, disobedience to the word of God is the first step, we might say, that is indicative of a hardening heart. A hardening heart bargains with God. Look in Exodus chapter 8 now and verse 8. It says, Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go that they may do sacrifice unto the Lord. Verse 15. But when Pharaoh saw that there was respite, he hardened his heart and hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. Now we've moved from the first plague to the second plague. The first plague, the waters were turned into blood. The second plague was a plague of frogs. You know, sickened by the infestation of these ugly and slimy creatures, Pharaoh decided to bargain with God. He said, well, you know, if you will entreat the Lord for me, and if he will take away these frogs from my people, then I will let the people go. He says, God, if you will do for me, I will do for you. Lord, if you will, if you will answer my prayer, I will commit myself to your way. You know, a lot of people pray prayers like that. God, if you will heal me, if you'll let me get better, Lord, if you'll let my wife get better, if you'll let my husband recover, if you'll let my son, my daughter, my baby get better, uh, Lord, if you will, if you will do that, I, I will serve you all my days. And what? God blesses that prayer and the child or the wife or the husband or whoever yourself is healed. And, and what? Those folks go on as before. 
Oh God, help me with my marriage. It's falling apart, Lord. If you'll just help me resolve the problems in my home, I'll, I'll serve you the rest of my days. And what? The marriage is repaired. And, and nevertheless, what happens? Folks go on as before. Oh Lord, help me find a job. If I just find a job that I can pay my bills, Lord, I promise you, I'd, I'll, I'll get saved and I'll go to church and I'll, I'll be the kind of person you'd want me to be. And God blesses with a job. And instead of going to church and, and being saved and being the kind of person that God would want you to be, this person goes on as they were before. Bargaining with God. Forgetting their commitment. Those are the words of a hardening heart. Notice that uh, Pharaoh, as soon as the frog's plague was lifted, we read there in verse 15, he hardened his heart and hearkened not unto them as the Lord has said. I wonder, is that you this evening? Have you made commitments to God in your life that you haven't kept? Have you bargained with God for an answer to prayer that God in his goodness and his grace answered that prayer and yet with all when God did so you didn't follow through and fulfill your part of the agreement. You see your heart is a hardening heart. A hardening heart cannot see the hand of God. Look further down this passage at verse 16 of chapter 8. The Lord said unto Moses, Say unto Aaron, stretch out thy rod and smite the dust of the land that it may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And they did so. For Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod and smote the dust of the earth and it became lice in man and in beast. All the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And the magicians did so with their enchantments to bring forth lice, but they could not. So there were lice upon man and upon beast. Then the magician said unto Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. You know, friends, a hardening heart often fails to see the hand of God. Here we are at this third plague, and, and notice the reaction of Pharaoh's counselors as they could tell uh, when this plague besets their land that the events surrounding them were not natural, but supernatural, that they were not normal, but abnormal. They saw in those things the very finger of God. They knew that they were out of their depth. And you know what? Pharaoh knew that he was out of his depth. And yet he hardened his heart. You know, there are people today and they cannot recognize the finger of God when they see it before them. They cannot see God's handiwork. They cannot see God's signature and events that surround us. There are those who cannot see the finger of God in creation. The book of Romans speaks about that very thing in Romans chapter 1 and verse 18. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God hath shown it unto them. For the invisible things of him, now listen, the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, 
That is, when they saw God in creation, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise, they became this fools. That's where we are today. Where people believe that they came from monkeys or they came from some kind of primate that that they're here as a matter of chance by sheer accident just simply by a collision of various chemicals in some great chemical soup millions or billions of years ago and yet the evidence of God's handiwork is everywhere to be seen and still men in the hardness of their hearts refuse to see it do you realize that and I want you to understand this that this is going to be a bone of contention with Christ at the end this is a bone of contention with God at the end. Revelation chapter 14. We read of God's final call when he sends out three angels into the earth to proclaim the everlasting gospel. And it says this in Revelation 14 and 6, And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Now listen to what he says, Fear God, And give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come. And worship him that made the heavens and the earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. You see, in the very end, God brings an angel out into the into the very earth who commands that men should acknowledge him as creator. They should acknowledge his handiwork. They should admit to the finger of God. They should see on every atom and every molecule the signature of God is set. Professing themselves to be wise, they became as fools. There are those who cannot see the finger of God in history. You know, if you go to the book of Daniel in the fifth chapter, you meet a a king by the name of Belshazzar. His kingdom is really living out its last days. He doesn't know it because he misses the signature of God in history. And in Daniel chapter 5 and verse 13, Daniel begins to explain to this king just what is going on. And and what happens is the king has seen a a hand. He's been having a banquet with all of his cohorts. And a, a mysterious hand appears and begins to inscribe a message upon the palace wall. And the king can't understand what the message means or where the message is from. And in the end, he sends for Daniel. And Daniel tells him the story of his forefather, Nebuchadnezzar. And he tells how that Nebuchadnezzar's heart was lifted up with pride. But God humbled the man until he came to a place where he acknowledged that the Lord is God over all the earth. Belshazzar hadn't seen that. You see, he didn't learn from the annals of history. And as a consequence, as Daniel uh, interprets the writing upon the wall, he says, thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. And he tells him that his kingdom is about to pass away from him. And he says, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then commanded Belshazzar, and they clothed Daniel with scarlet, put a chain of gold about his neck, made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. In that night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, slain, and Darius the Mede took the kingdom, being about 62 or threescore and two years old. You see, Belshazzar didn't see the finger of God in history. 
you ever read something and say in history or, or see something in history and think to yourself, well, that was a miraculous thing? Or what a stroke of luck, maybe you thought. You know, a number of years ago, I read about the sinking of the Bismarck. Quite a remarkable event, the sinking of the great German warship, the Bismarck. It was the most up-to-date ship of its day. It was feared by the Allied forces in World War II. And eventually, the Germans unleashed this ship. It left the Baltic Sea and and headed out across the North Atlantic and and came down the uh, west coast of Ireland. And it was spotted there. And eventually the British Navy got together and they decided to attack this ship. And all they had was a, a little biplane. A little two-winged plane with one torpedo on it. And it went out there. And, and before this battle began, let's understand something. Let me back up a little bit. Before this battle began, the commander of HMS Rodney, a British warship, no match for the Bismarck, stood on the deck of his ship and he prayed to the God of heaven and earth, the God of the seas, that he would bless him and his naval uh, compadres in in that battle. But the captain of the Bismarck, he stood and prayed to Neptune, God of the sea. This is recorded in history. He prayed to a pagan God that God would give them victory over the British. So this little biplane comes out, this tiny little plane like a knot in the sky against this mighty warship and it unleashes a torpedo upon this ship, this great ship. And what happened? The torpedo came down and it didn't explode. Instead it wedged into the rudder of the Bismarck, keeping that ship at 12 degrees so that the ship was no longer able to navigate the seas and simply went around and around in circles. And as they fought to get control of that ship, the British Navy began to hone in on the Bismarck and the Rodney bombarded her until she sunk. You say, wasn't that a stroke of luck? It was the finger of God. And only a hardening heart would say otherwise. A hardening heart cannot see the hand of God. A hardening heart wants God to hear me but not necessarily for me to listen to God. Look at Exodus chapter 8 again, if you will, in chapter 28. Exodus chapter 8 and verse 28. And Pharaoh said, I will let you go and you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Only you shall not go away, you shall not go very far away. Entreat for me. Moses said, Behold, I go out from thee, and I will entreat the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants, from his people tomorrow. But let not Pharaoh deal deceitfully any more in not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. And Moses went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord, and the Lord did according to the word of Moses, and he removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, from his people, and there remained not one. And Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time also, neither would he let the people go. Here's the fourth plague. The whole land is covered in flies. I can tell you that is the most disgusting thing imaginable. To have your whole land covered in flies. Frogs would be terrible, but I think flies would be even worse. You know, when we got to England, we discovered that there is a uh, day in the calendar, an annual day, that is marked by people in Staffordshire, in the Midlands, I guess, and other parts of England as well, I should think. It's called Flying Ant Day. 
It's just one day in the year. And in that one day in the year, these flying ants merge from their uh, eggs and they literally cover everywhere. If you get them in your house, we one time had them in our house. This is how we first discovered them. We came to our house after church one night and went into the kitchen and the kitchen was black with these flying ants. And you know, you're, you're, you're thinking to yourself, well, what am I going to do? You know, my wife says to me, well, swat them. There's like a million of them. And so I thought, well, I'll give it a go. And I started swatting them. But when I swatted them, they were dive-bombing me in my own kitchen. And then I tried spraying them with fly spray. But they're not flies, they're ants. And they were completely resistant to the fly spray. Now they were madder than ever. In the end, I had to go out with a hoover. That was my last weapon. I went out with a hoover and I began to suck them into the hoover. And the little bag was filled with insects. And they were all living in there like a, a nest. And I, and I said, the hazel will just leave them there until they die. Well, they were dead by the next day. They only last 24 hours. I came home one day, drove my car into the drive and thought I needed to go to Specsavers. The whole drive was moving like this. I thought, my goodness, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing something you know, double here. Something's going wrong. The whole drive is moving. It's dancing. And then I looked to my right and I noticed that whilst I'd been out visiting that morning, someone had come and they had painted my gate post, which was white in the morning, shiny black. And it was moving. The whole thing was moving. And then I realized it was flying out day. And my entire drive was taken up with these things. And the gate post was completely covered in them. And I had to step out of my car and walk to my front door over all of these flying ants. Friends, it's disgusting. And that's what happened to something akin to that happened in the land of Egypt. You know, the Egyptians were meticulously clean. And flies, as you well know, are terribly filthy creatures. So Pharaoh wanted God to hear him. He said, entreat the Lord that the swarm of flies may depart from me. And so God did hear Pharaoh. And yet with all, Pharaoh did not want to hear God. For God had told him, let my people go. But Pharaoh hardened his heart and he would not let the people go. Who hath hardened himself against him and hath prospered? A hardening heart is a heart in great unbelief. Chapter 9 of Exodus, we come to the fifth plague. God clearly tells Pharaoh through Moses that the very next day he will disease every animal in the land. All the livestock of Egypt will die, but that the livestock of the Hebrews would escape this particular curse. And that's exactly what happened in verses 5 and 6. The Lord appointed a set time, saying, Tomorrow the land, the Lord shall do this thing in the land. And the Lord did that thing on the morrow. And all the cattle of Egypt died, and of the cattle of the children of Israel died, not one. Still, in his hardness, notice verse 7, Pharaoh refused to let the people go. And the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. But I want you to see something else here that he did in verse 7, which is very telling. It says, And Pharaoh sent, and behold, there was not one of the cattle of the Israelites dead. Tells you about his unbelief. You see, God said to him, now listen, if you don't let my people go, this is the consequence. 
Tomorrow this is going to happen to your land. It's going to happen to your, your livestock. And that's exactly what happened. 24 hours later, his cattle were dying of a disease. And what did Pharaoh say? Oh my goodness, God has judged me. I should get right. I should be saved. I should let the people go. No, he hardened his heart. And he sent his servants to check to the Israelites to see if indeed their cattle was still alive, even as God said they would be. You see, this is indicative of a hardening heart. This is a heart that is running out of hope. This is a heart that is squandering opportunity. This is a heart that is presuming upon God's grace. Do you have a heart like that? Do you hope in your own heart of hearts that you'll be given another chance, another day, another opportunity for Christ to save you? Friend, what a mistake you're making. Listen, who hath hardened himself against him and hath prospered? No one. A hardening heart remains unmoved even in the most trying of circumstances. Look in chapter 9 and verse 8. And the Lord said unto Moses and unto Aaron, Take you to you handfuls of ashes of the furnace. Let Moses sprinkle it toward the heavens in the sight of Pharaoh. And it shall become small dust in all the land of Egypt. And shall be a boil breaking forth with plains upon man and upon beast throughout all the land of Egypt. And they took ashes of the furnace and stood before Pharaoh And Moses sprinkled it upward toward heaven. And it became a boil breaking forth with plains upon man and upon beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils. For the boil was upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh and he hearkened not unto them as the Lord had spoken unto Moses. Now the entire nation of Egypt is suffering from an epidemic of festering boils. Can you imagine such a thing? You know, we're living through this pandemic, and every now and then we hear, so-and-so has COVID, this one has COVID, that one has COVID. And some of us haven't had COVID at all, thank the Lord. But here was a situation where it wasn't a case of he has festering boils and she has festering boils. Everybody had festering boils. Beginning with Pharaoh himself. And soon the whole land was deceased and the people were in great agony. Uh, Even according to verse 11, so that they could not stand. The magicians were unable to stand when this boil was breaking forth upon them. And yet what? In verse 12, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. We see it all the time. God allows suffering to come into a person's life. In the hope that they will turn from sin and turn to him. But instead they become angry and bitter and hard. You'd be amazed at how many people, and I'm sure some of you would testify likewise, that I have spoken to over the years who've had some terrible suffering in their life. And instead of softening their heart, it has hardened their heart and made them bitter against God. You see, there's great truth in the saying that the same sun that melts the ice, the sun that melts the ice is the same sun that hardens the clay. Neither the word of God is going to soften your heart and open your heart to the truth of the gospel, or it's going to harden your heart against the things of God. You know, the book of Revelation in chapter 6, we read of a series of judgment that is of judgments that are to be brought upon the earth in a time to come, the so-called seal judgments. And uh, in verse 15 of that chapter, we read of the sixth seal, which brought about an, a, a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, and so on. Terrible things were happening in the skies. 
And in verse 15 it says, And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man, hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of his wrath has come, and who shall be able to stand? You think instead of hiding away and, and praying for death, they would say, We need to repent. This is the coming day of God's wrath. We need to repent. We need to get right with God. But they refuse to do it because their hearts are hardened. In chapter 16 of Revelation and verses 8 and 9, we read about the vile judgments. The fourth angel poured out his vial or his bowl upon the sun and power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God, which hath power over these plagues. And they repented not to give him the glory. Here's a terrible, terrible trial that comes upon the earth, whereby people are literally burning up with the heat of the sun, that they're being scorched alive as they stand. And yet with all, instead of repenting of their sins, they blaspheme the God of heaven. And they refuse to repent before him. Now I want you to see something in Exodus chapter 9 and verse 12. All the way through this book of Exodus, you will have read, And Pharaoh hardened his heart. And Pharaoh hardened his heart. And Pharaoh hardened his heart. But you get to verse 12 of chapter 9, and here's what you read. And the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. See the difference? The Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart heart. Let's park that thought there for a moment and we'll come back to it in a moment. But let me say this from that same chapter. If you look in chapter 9 and verse 27, here's the seventh thing that I would say to you about a hardening heart. A hardening heart may say the right things. It says, And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said unto them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous and I and my people are wicked. In chapter 10 and verse 16. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron in haste. And he said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now therefore forgive, I pray thee, my sin only this once. And entreat the Lord your God that he may take away from me this death only. Pharaoh was saying the right things. I have sinned. I need forgiveness. Pray for me. These are the right things. He admitted he was a sinner. He admitted he needed forgiven. But here's the thing. There was no repentance. There was no change of mind. He was no more intent on letting those people go than he was when the waters were turned to blood in the very first plague. He was the same old Pharaoh as before. He was just like Judas Iscariot, the traitor who put the Lord Jesus to the Roman soldiers who, who uh, deceived uh, or who, who betrayed him to the uh, Roman army and put him to the cross. Judas says this, I have sinned in that I have, uh, that I have betrayed the innocent blood. Are you telling me that Judas was a Christian? That Judas was saved? The Bible says no. It says that Judas went to his own place, that he was a devil. Judas split hell wide open, even though he said the right thing. 
You can say the right things and still not be saved. You see, what you have here in these words of Pharaoh is a worldly sorrow. Do you realize there's such a thing as a godly sorrow and a worldly sorrow? And you say, well, what's the difference? Well, a worldly sorrow is a I'm sorry I've been caught kind of sorrow. A worldly sorrow is I'm sorry that this is now costing me kind of sorrow. It's the kind of sorrow that is expressed by godless politicians and celebrities when they make inappropriate jokes about another politician's wife. Or they, or they throw a party during lockdown. Or they kick a cat across their kitchen floor and they come out and they say, I'm sorry. Really? You know and I know that they're not sorry at all. Oh, they'll say the right things. Oh, I've learned from my, I've learned my lesson. I'm being re-educated. They'll say things that you want to hear and maybe I want to hear, but there's no change of heart. Worldly sorrow focuses upon my woes. Worldly sorrow is, is focusing all upon the consequences of my sin rather than being sorry for sin itself. But godly sorrow is sorry because it is offensive to a holy God. And I want you to understand tonight, if you're here and you're not a Christian, it's not just that your sin will take you to hell that should make you sorry. It's the fact that you have been an offense to the holiest of God. God who made you, the God who has graced you every day with life and breath and all things, the God who sent his son Jesus into the world to die on an old rugged cross that you could be forgiven, that God has been offended by your life, by your sin, by your thoughts, by your words, by your actions, and you ought to be sorry about that. I wonder, are you... Guilty of worldly sorrow as opposed to godly sorrow. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. Paul said so. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. Is that you? Do you say the right things? Somebody says to you, you're a Christian. Oh yes, I'm a Christian. But you know you're not a Christian. You know you're not a child of God. You say what, the, what you think the pastor would like to hear you say. You say what you think your parents might like to hear you say. You say what you think someone else might like to hear you say. You know exactly what you ought to say. That which is pleasing to the ear of the hearer. But there's no change of heart. There's no repentance. You see your heart is hardening. Jesus put it this way. This people draweth nigh or near unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips. But their heart, their heart is far from me. Is that you this evening? And then I want to say this to you. A hardening heart, this is our last thought, may cross the line with God. A hardening heart may cross a line with God. Look in Exodus chapter 10 and verse 27. Exodus chapter 10 and verse 27. This is after the plague of darkness. It says, But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. 
And Pharaoh said unto him, Get thee from, get thee from me, take heed of, to thyself, see my face no more, for in the day that thou seest my face, thou shalt die. And Moses said, Thou hast spoken well, I will see thy face again no more. See what happened here? Pharaoh finds that he can no longer respond to the pleas. The Lord hardens his heart, and he dismisses Moses from his palace, from his court. And he says, go away. He says, I don't want to see your face again. And Moses says this, thou hast spoken well, I will see thy face again no more. He says, guess what, Pharaoh? God isn't speaking to you anymore. Now that is a dreadful place for any soul to be. Where God stops speaking to you. Did you know that God can harden your heart? That it's possible that God will no longer deal with you. That he will no longer speak to you. That his spirit will no longer strive with your soul. Eighteen times in all we're told in this, in this account that Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Nine times we're told that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And nine times we're told that God hardened his heart. But when God hardened his heart, that was it. The door of salvation was closed. There was no going back for Pharaoh. There was no opportunity now to repent. From the moment that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, this man was destined to see the firstborn sons right throughout his land die and to watch as his entire army drowned in the Red Sea. God was going to deal with him. You better be careful that God doesn't harden your heart. For when that happens, there is not a preacher on earth who can reach you with the gospel. You are gone. Don't for one minute believe that you can turn to God at the last minute and be saved. Say, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be saved today. I'll be saved when I'm older. I'll be saved when I'm 50 or 60 or 70 or 80. I'll be saved when I get to my deathbed, assuming you have a deathbed to get to. I'll be saved later in life. Listen, if God hardens your heart, the game is up for you. And no amount of praying or pleading or preaching will make the slightest bit of difference. I want you to listen to the words of Proverbs chapter 1. And remember the book of Proverbs is the Old Testament book of wisdom. And if you're wise, you'll take heed to these words. In Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 22, it says, How long, ye simple ones, will you love simplicity? And the scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Turn you at my reproof. God says, when I correct you, repent, turn. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will strive with you. I will make known my words 
unto you. I will convict you and convince you and, and show you your guiltiness before me. But verse 24 then says, Because I have called and ye refused, I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded. But you set it not all my counsel and with none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind. When distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. You see, here's what God is saying. If I harden your heart, if I deal with you in this way, if I cut you off because of constant rebuttal of my offer of salvation, understand that when it comes to the end, I might well not answer when you call. You can lie on your deathbed and say, oh God, be merciful to me. Oh God, help me. Oh God, save me. But God will laugh at you from the heavens. He will mock at you. You say, I don't believe it. It's in his word. I just read it to you. You said, my God won't do that. That's the God of your imagination. Here's the God of the Bible. He's telling you what he will do. The moment that the Bible says the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, that man was destined for destruction. You know, back in Romans chapter 1, where we talked about how men cannot perceive of the finger of God in creation, that passage goes on and it talks about how God gives people up and how he turns them over to a reprobate. That is a useless mind. And the Bible says, Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. It goes on in verse 26. It says, For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. Verse 28, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. Listen to me. God gave them up. God gave them up. God gave them over. When it says the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, God was giving them up. You think God wouldn't give you up? You think that God is somehow duty bound to dance to your prayers? To come when you call? At your convenience? At your timing? When you bid him, listen, he's God. He's not your puppet on a string. He's God. When the Holy Spirit comes knocking on your heart's door, you better answer. You better open the heart. You better admit that Christ is your Savior. You better confess your sin and acknowledge your need and come before the Lord in repentance and faith. Otherwise, there's no hope for you. The Bible says this in Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 1. He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed. And that without remedy. I want to close with a word from the book of Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews, in the third chapter of that book, says this. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. 
in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore I was grieved with that generation, and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear, and I listen to God's oath here, so I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. God gave them up. He hardened their hearts. And he gave them up. And then this word of of exhortation comes. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today. While it is called today. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. You know, there was a survey conducted by the Barna Research Group some years ago in which they revealed that 64% of all born-again believers were saved before their 18th birthday. After that, only one out of eight, 13%, made their profession of faith between the ages of 18 and 21. And so the percentages diminish as you go by the various age groups until you come into the 70s and the 80s. And the number of people that are saved in that age band is negligible. You see, over the years, the heart hardens to the truth. With the passage of time, it becomes less and less likely that you'll be saved. Did you hear what I said? With the passage of time, it becomes less and less likely for a person to trust Christ and be saved. If that's you, you need to think about that. You need to think about where your soul is heading. Who hath hardened himself against him? And hath prospered. Not Pharaoh. And not you. Harden not your hearts. This is God's gracious word to you. Do not presume upon his grace. Do not allow your unbelief to rob you of the joys of heaven with Christ. Do not allow sin to damn your soul to an eternal hell. Repent and believe the gospel. Do not allow your hardened heart to tune out his voice. Today, Hebrews says, today, if you will hear his voice, Harden not your hearts. Has God been speaking to your heart? You know, maybe you've been watching these meetings online and God has been speaking to your heart. Maybe you've been coming to these meetings in recent times and God has come knocking on your heart, dealing with you, whispering his invitation of salvation to your soul. Has the Spirit come knocking at your heart's door? Is God dealing with you? Is he dealing with you tonight, right now? Who hath hardened himself against him and hath prospered? There is a time we know not when, a place we know not where, 
which marks the destiny of man to glory or despair. There is a line by us unseen which crosses every path, which marks the boundary between God's mercy and his wrath. To pass that limit is to die, to die as if by stealth. It does not dim the beaming eye nor peel the glow of health. The conscience may still be at ease, the spirit light and gay, and that which pleases still may please and care be thrust away. But on that forehead God hath set, indelibly a mark, unseen by man, for man as yet is blind and in the dark. He feels perchance that all is well and every fear is calmed. He lives, he dies, he walks in hell. Not only doomed, but damned. Oh, where is that mysterious line that may by men be crossed, beyond which God himself hath sworn that he who goes is lost? An answer from the skies repeats, Ye who from God depart, today, oh, hear his voice, and harden not your heart. Who hath hardened himself against God and hath prospered. Friend, come to Jesus today. We're going to sing our closing hymn this evening. Search me, O God, and know my heart today. Try me, O Savior, know my thoughts, I pray. See if there be some wicked way in me. Cleanse me from every sin and set me free. You know, if tonight... You would like to know the Lord Jesus as your Savior. If you'd like to speak with me, I will take all the time in the world for you tonight if I can be of help to you in pointing you to the Savior. Don't be shy. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be proud and and walk out that door. No, humble yourself. And say, Pastor, I would like to speak to you about Jesus. I'd like to be saved tonight. Will you help me? And I promise you, as God enables me, I will. Let's stand together as we sing. Search me, O God, and know my heart today.
Father in 